这感觉神秘极，在甜蜜的梦境里，总和你相偎依，情默默与苏醒。Dear listeners, welcome to Ask Doctor Wang. In this program, I will cross the world in search for the best Chinese doctors to help you tackle the pains pills can't cure and solve the maladies the knife won't cut away. Let's help each other to heal ourselves. This week. We're going to talk about a subject that many people dislike, a small amount of people love, and everyone experiences sometimes on the daily level. It can derail us, even take over our lives. Though some deny its existence and think it's better just to carry on living. What I'm talking about here is pain, and in this episode, we're going to find out what we're talking about when we're talking about pain, and we'll talk about how to define pain. How to locate pain, and whether we need to know the answer to the previous questions to cure pain. I have only experienced a relatively limited scope of pain in my life. I've never had a chronic illness unless I count my insomnia. I've never broken anything except for my heart. The types of pain I have experienced firsthand are the types that are invisible and immeasurable. The phantom pain of a friend that's been lost. The dull and nagging wounds etched in by the shadows of absent parents, muscle memory grown from poisonous relationships, leaving my body to react to fear, even though the threat has long gone. If I were to make a topographical survey of the history of my pain, the map of London would be the most densely populated. It's not that I have lived there for that long, though five years did feel like a very long time when I was there. But it's more because it was a tough place to move to when it was the first time I left home, and I didn't yet realize that the gloominess in London wasn't necessarily just me. There was that street corner I cried on on my bike because I realized that I was cycling home to a home that wasn't mine. There's that apartment I would lock myself into, and I would stare out of its big windows, and I just couldn't imagine there would be anyone in the city looking back. Those places have long become historical sites, but their effect still lingers. I break my heart over and over again crossing that one corner, no matter what my state is before I turn into that street. And it's as if the pain isn't in me, but had been constructed into a memorial site, reminding me that violence had taken place there. Yet. How much experience I have in pain doesn't really matter, because everyone is an expert in this field. So, in this episode, we'll explore the different shapes pain comes in, but most specifically, we're going to talk about the invisible and untraceable kind—the kind that a pill can't cure. So, I'll make the topic for this episode a bit more clear by reading you the question. So, here it comes. 漫长的时光比千百度找寻你，在花香的衣裳是才知那就是你
Dear Dr. Wang, I've been in a relationship for a year, which started out beautifully, but has now ended in a crisis in which we have caused each other a lot of pain. It does make me wonder, why do people who love each other hurt each other too? And how can we deal with the pain of a broken heart? With much love, heartbroken heartbreaker. Dear heartbroken heartbreaker, thank you so much for your question because I know that this is a question on so many people's minds. I'll start by saying that if you'd go to a doctor and tell them you're in pain, the first thing most doctors would ask is, you know, where does it hurt, right? They'd ask. Where on the body does the pain sit? How often does it come? And you know what does it feel like? And it's almost as if they're mapping out the pain, as if they're making a topographical survey of the pain too. So most doctors who deal with pain, they would have a list of the pains they treat: face pain, hand pain, foot pain. Sometimes it can become more specific: oral pain, rotator cuff pain, bladder pain. Most of these doctors need to pin down a specific side of the body where the pain manifests before they can start to treat it. But of course, that's a problem in this case because where does heartache really sit, right? I mean, you can say that it's in the heart, but I don't think it's a good idea to send painkillers to that organ. And we could also say that it's in the soul, but you know, good luck finding that one. As you can tell, perhaps my advice isn't all that. So, dear heartbroken heartbreaker, instead I found a pain expert who can be slightly more helpful in this issue. And to be honest with you, I initially found his clinic because one British daily newspaper insinuated that members of the royal family were treated there too, and to me, royal pains seemed like a good enough accreditation. So here he is, meet Doctor Pierre Jean Cousin. Well.、Um... I'm an acupuncturist. I mean, I've been doing this since.、Uh... Doctor Cousin runs his pain clinic on several locations in West London, and he offers walk-in pain consultations six days a week. But instead of giving out drugs to counter pain, he sticks needles into people's bodies.、Uh, He's been in natural medicine since 1979. And acupuncture、uh, since、uh, 1983. I visited one of his three clinics, which was located in Sandringham. It's one of those outer boroughs in London that I only knew as an end stop of a tube line instead of a real destination. Yeah, about nineteen seventy four, seventy five, when、mm. I came when I came to this country,、mm. uh, where I came across. So, Doctor Cousin has、uh, been in the、I、UK for、know. over forty years, but he still speaks with his thick French accent. I'm not sure whether it's because he just can't get rid of it, or because it's actually more convenient to have a French accent in London. Because London is one of those cities that never ended its love affair with Paris. But as far as acupuncture is concerned, when when I started、uh, with acupuncture, we were basically hippies, quack, weirdos, you know,、uh, because we were doing something that was very very strange with needle, but. Bit by bit,、uh, people voted with their feet and kept on coming to people like us because、uh, there was really a need and a value 
in this kind of treatment. And I think the turning point was when uh, the Inland Revenue published figure that we were half a billion pound worth of business or something like this. I mean, I can't, re don't quote me on the, thing, uh, on the figure, I can't remember exactly. So suddenly they say, wow, you know, those are not alternative therapists, they are complementary therapists, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like all the other pain experts, also Dr. Cousin has an extensive list of the pains he treats. So I asked Dr. Cousin about which kinds of pains he deals with. Um, I think on average, the first thing that people would come from probably is back pain. Mm. And, uh, you know, any, any, any painful condition, like, uh, you know, musculoskeletal problem, which would include, for example, back pain, uh, frozen shoulder, Diabetic neuropathy, people will get pain in their feet, that well, they never get, uh, okay, uh, neck pain, um, all those painful conditions where, uh, as far as doctors are concerned, they can only give painkiller mm -hmm. and uh, that doesn't change, doesn't make people too comfortable, so they want, they want this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, treatment. And so I asked him straight away, our question of the day. How do you cure a broken heart? Uh, cure a broken heart, that's, that's actually a difficult one. I think uh, there are certain things which leave scars in people's life. Okay? Uh, trauma, uh, things like this, which people will never entirely uh, recover. There will always be some, some scar there. Okay, but you 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 have to give them you got to help them give get back their strength and move on. You can never turn the clock back. So it's a question of uh, people, you know, accepting and uh, the experience, making it part of their history and moving on. And helping people to move on from pain. That's what Dr. Cousin is specialized in. See, Dr. Cousin, he's also an expert on fertility. There's this photo collage that hangs on the wall of his clinic of roughly 20 or so plump and happy babies, with quite a few of them being twins. It's a good photo wall. Shows <laughs> <laughs> me up in the morning when I see that. Yeah. Are they, he explains old? that certain be, fertility issues are also related to old pains. A simple example, because of those babies, for example, you see those women who have a miscarriage, okay? That actually is terrible, it's traumatic. And it will leave a scar to them in their hearts for all their life. But the day they get pregnant, and then the day that baby is born, this is the day they let go of the pain and, 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 and the experience of a miscarriage because now it's actually they, 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 they moved on. Okay. So how does Dr. Cousin exactly treat pain? Before we get to that question, I'll have to intervene for a moment to give a brief summary of the textbook definition of pain in Western and Chinese medicine because it's going to be helpful for understanding what Dr. Cousin exactly does. 
So both disciplines treat pain by first locating it. Western medicine sees pain as a signal that is transmitted by the receptors in our skin and tissue through our nervous system to our brain to tell us that something is wrong. Chinese medicine, on the other hand, talks about pain as a result of an imbalance between the yin and yang energies in our body. So this imbalance happens when we don't have enough qi flowing through our system. And in a way, I know this just sounds like I'm using two different languages to describe the same thing, but I would say that the main difference is that in acupuncture, or at least in its most primal form, pain isn't always treated at where it hurts. Acupuncture sees pain as only a branch, and the real root of the problem could be somewhere far, far away, and that's what needs to be treated. So if we would take a map of our bodies. And we'd overlay it with the channels of the meridians that make up this infrastructure of odd side roads and secret shortcuts between our organs and tissues. We could see why a problem in the kidney could suddenly pop up on the left ankle. But this is exactly why Western medicine has struggled with acupuncture. The doctors they just can't figure out why a needle is inserted into a place that is so far off from its intended side of effect. It just doesn't make anatomical sense. But even though the meridians don't exist according to Western methods of measurement, the effects of acupuncture are scientifically measurable. So nowadays, acupuncture is even practiced in certain hospitals and. Doctors they'd use a scientific language to explain it, and they would speak about endorphins and trigger points and so forth, and some would even use electrical signals to enforce the acupuncture needles. Coming back to Doctor Kuzan, he seems to sit on the common ground between the two sides. We spoke about this issue during one of our phone conversations. With in the case of migraine, for example, you would put needle in the head and a needle in in in、uh, opposite part of the body, like in the feet or hand, and、um, and just leave the needle like that for certain type of pain, like、uh, where there is inflammation or joint pain or this sort of thing. And then I would tend to use electroacupuncture, where you put. Like back pain as well, where you put the needle and then you put some little electrode and 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 pass a mild current, a mild stimulation because that seems to work better、mm. for this kind of pain. So, it seems that with physical complaints, Doctor Cousin sticks it in where it hurts. But that approach changes when we start to deal with pains that aren't easily located. So, what if it's more emotional pain or emotional suffering? How would you, you know, how would you deal with that? Okay, that that is different. You do、uh, you do treatment with a general a general effect of、um, relaxation. You also、uh, you've got to talk to the people and 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 you know、uh, try to help them a bit,、uh, give them a bit of support. And then there are certain points. I mean, with, with acupuncture points, you、um, you know practitioners know practitioners know like there are certain points which have a more of a kind of emotional、uh, impact、uh, of releasing tension. 
while other points are better used, for example, for for pain or for specific symptoms. Mm. So it's the choice of points which uh, which is different according to the condition. So this is where Dr. Cousin's original background comes in. Before he started acupuncture, he was actually in the field of clinical psychology. His interest in acupuncture started when he wanted to treat the stuff that couldn't be treated with Western medicine, you know, the stuff that didn't fall into any categories of pathology. And there's still a bit of that psychotherapist there. Dr. Cousin, he he uses words like stress management, evaluation, passes versus proactive, re-evaluation. And this whole process is described like a dance between the doctor and the patient. And it's like a way of entangling the past and the future of the heart of the problem. The pain that is inflicted on us by others, for example, or the pain that we inflict on others. Um, how do you, how would you advise us to deal with that? Okay. Um, then, then there is an, there's an element of management um, because we've, when people come and are very stressed and, and uh, ever suffer from emotional pain or, or uh, things like this, um, when they have acupuncture, acupuncture put them in a state of relaxation which makes them more open to reevaluate uh, how they do things and, uh, and so on. And um, so then you have actually to spend some time listening to them. And the uh, easiest um, thing to say to people is that, you know, if you always do the same thing, you're always going to get the same results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? And therefore, when they come uh, and start this treatment, they move actually from being passive to being proactive, they're trying to find a solution to their problem. And the solution is not going to be doing the same thing again and again and again. So therefore, they must go through this process of re-evaluation in order to get the, the full benefit. The bottom line, the treatment is complete and finished when actually the patient takes over The Chinese people are a great people. The American people are a great people. We have at times in the past been enemies. We have great differences today. What brings us together is that we have common interests which transcend those differences. So that was President Nixon. We're making a small jump in time. We're now in 1972, and Nixon is about to visit the new Communist People's Republic of China. It's the first time that a United States president has visited mainland China while in office, And it's a precarious time, too, because even though the Red Scare of commies of the McCarthy days had passed, China still saw the capitalist U.S. as a corrupting force, while one of the real motivations of the U.S. was to improve its relationship with China so that it could gain leverage over the Soviet Union. 
His visit was planned in such a way to have maximum effect on American media, and it didn't just open up trade channels between China and the West, but it also finally lifted the decades-long veil that was on this country of Chinamen. You've just just come off the operating table. How do you feel? Get on, Mister. Me ho, me so. Quite comfortable. Quite comfortable. Did you have any pain during the operation? Me ho. No, not much pain. And uh, some discomfort at all or not? No. Did you get thirsty? During President Nixon's visit. Americans, they also got a sneak peek into Chinese hospitals by virtue of one foreign correspondent's bursting appendix. The New York Times journalist James Reston, he was sent in China to cover the visit, but as he arrived in a China that hadn't seen a foreigner in a few decades, he got stuck in a city far away from where Nixon and the then Secretary of State Henry Kissinger were having secret negotiations. And as such, he failed to cover the story he traveled there to cover, and he developed acute appendicitis as a result. James Reston was then operated in a Chinese hospital, and in a story he wrote for the New York Times, he described how acupuncture was used on him as anesthesia. And suddenly, acupuncture became popular in the West as anesthesia, the drug-free solution to pain. The most dramatic medical breakthrough has been the discovery three or four years ago that acupuncture could be used as an anaesthetic in operations. More than half a million major operations of this kind have now been performed. No one, even in China, quite understands how it works. I watched a dozen or more major operations in which the patients, with no sign of pain, remained quite conscious and could talk with me. It was an utterly astonishing experience. But what the Americans didn't realize is that they were buying into a Chinese-manufactured product called acupuncture, and that product didn't have that much to do at all with what the tradition used to be. So remember how in the first episode I talked about how the, the Chinese, Chinese medicine that we know now, now is primarily an invention the by the communists in the 1950s as a part of a larger nation-building project? I'll give you a quick recap of what happened. Before the communist revolution in 1949, Chinese medicine had largely fallen out of favor in China, while people flocked to the newly erected Western medicine hospitals. So, in fact, acupuncture was even banned between the end of the 19th century up until 1949. But as the communists came in that year, they embraced Chinese medicine as a way to revive national glory. So hospitals, clinics, and schools were built in support of this new Chinese science, and Chairman Mao even called for a way to integrate the two disciplines. And as a result, even now, Chinese and Western medicine departments sit next to each other in Chinese hospitals, and it's the patient who can choose to go into the one and then the other. Many medical students in those days were required to learn the simplified techniques of acupuncture to become what they called. Barefoot doctors, so that it was possible for them to work without much knowledge or resources in the poor country. And in the process of doing that, the parts of Chinese medicine that weren't as easy to integrate with Western medicine were left out, and the spiritual elements were thrown out in favor of the material and the physical. 
but luckily there were the French. Because as the close of China redeveloped a new discipline of Chinese medicine, the French had already taken some versions of ancient medical texts out of China and into France. Doctor Cousin explained me how his countrymen managed to actually conserve many parts of the ancient tradition. In Europe, I suppose,、uh, I mean, acupuncture has been known for probably about a hundred years. There has been the odd practitioner in France or in England or in Germany and so on, but.、Um, France had a lot of、uh, link with、uh, China through the Jesuits,、mm. and the Jesuits were scholars who、uh, translated ancient texts. Okay, and then some uh, French uh, doctors uh, who were working in China brought back acupuncture、uh, in France. Okay. And that was really like in the 1930s or something like that.、Okay. The French doctor Dr. Cousin is talking about is Georges Souli de Morin, a French consul rumored to be so eloquent in Chinese language and customs that he was said to be indistinguishable from locals. As part of the consular team, he traveled through many places in China, and in each city he would seek out an acupuncture teacher. After Souli de Morin returned to France. He collated his knowledge into a book that would become the fundament of all European acupuncture for decades later. Published in the nineteen thirties, you have to realize how much this guy affected Western notions of acupuncture. I mean, he was the one to coin the terms that we all use to describe acupuncture today: the basic, simple terms like meridian or the five elements of the body, and so forth. I mean, if you compare this, I mean, one of my old mentors was a,、uh, a Chinese professor who、um, got his doctorate in medicine in 1952,、mm-hmm. and he said in those days you had to actually you were given a pile of books, you know,、uh, from the 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 the, 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 the classic of acupuncture, and they were written in verse, and you had to learn them by heart, and that's basically. How it was done, and of course that would have been a little bit too much for the for the French people.、Mm. I think that's also how Sully de Morin felt about it. He was like, "Would French people really buy into these weird foreign ideas?" So while he translated the work, he invented this whole new system to talk about acupuncture, so it would be more digestible for French doctors and alike. I looked through this book, and you'd see the extensive maps on the body, and alongside what looked like keys to these maps that would chart where exactly on the body something could be found and cured. There is this chapter called "Pains of the Heart," which included a list of different types of heart pain. So one of them was acute pain in the heart, and then you had unbearable pain in the heart, emptiness of the heart. There was pain in the heart, cardiac neuralgia. There was pain in the heart as if pierced by an owl, and pain in the heart as if pierced by an owl to the heart and vessels. Each of these descriptions was then followed by a list of points. For example, for unbearable pain in the heart, emptiness in the heart, it refers to the following coordinates. 
DACH2, comma, 19V, Yongquan, KI1. Um, yeah, the, the French uh, really worked very much. Uh, the, the, I mean, the, the, the French have a much more medical-oriented approach to acupuncture, mm-hmm. as we are always trying to, lo- to link acupuncture to specific pathology and did much more research on things like this. Initially, the... In England, they they were uh, more um, overall, um, yeah, I suppose more holistic approach. So yeah, Solida Warren got the French into this tradition of medicalizing acupuncture and incorporated it so deep within the medical system that nowadays only medical practitioners are allowed to practice acupuncture in France. But in England, they went all the way the other way. The doctor who came to define British art acupuncture was called J.R. Worsley, who himself was educated by a French professor called Jacques Lavier. Following the teachings of his professor, Worsley introduced an even more simplified system of acupuncture called Five Elements. And this was about in the 1950s, 1960s. Worsley was quite a knowledgeable man, and uh, I think his own approach was the whole system is confusing. It's better if a student learn one bit very, very well and do it very, very well than trying to learn the whole lot. So he he completely uh, focused on teaching the so-called five elements um, acupuncture. The, <clears throat> of course, the criticism of that is that it's a very limited version of acupuncture, uh, that there's more to acupuncture than just five elements. Oh, interesting. Uh, and for the Chinese, it was actually quite confusing because uh, I think the Chinese never thought of splitting, you know, the, the whole the whole things about uh, Chinese medicine into smaller bits like that. So they were a little bit baffled by this kind of approach. So the five elements combined a lot of different types of Asian medicine, but also because there wasn't much access to China itself in the pre-Nixon days. And lots of shamanistic roots of acupuncture came back with that. And the emphasis returned to the spiritual. So this five elements acupuncture went on to become this separate discipline that was especially good for mental and emotional problems. At the same time, it was so simplified on the physical side that the treatments were just limited to the hands, arms, legs and feet. Instead, a lot of talking and listening and spiritual healing was involved. And treating pain once again became a matter of the heart like the kind of dance that Dr. Cousin did with his patients with broken hearts. This happened as well with relationship, with, uh, with all sorts of things. When, when, when a relationship breaks, people think, always focus on what they are uh, losing. Mm. But they're not necessarily aware that they also gain something, that they, the, all the experience, the good and bad time they had in that relationship is now part of their history. 
is now overstocked where they, that will help them build stronger and better relationship. Nowadays, the distinctions between the French and the English schools are not so clear anymore. After China opened up to the world in the 1970s, Italian, German, and other practitioners could visit the country themselves and exchange information. Dr. Kuzan, he is a good example of this first generation of globalized acupuncturists. Well, I studied both in France and in the UK, and then after that, I also studied with uh, Chinese, Japanese, and Vietnamese doctors. So I got a very broad view uh, of of the medical system. And it's not just him. The whole world of acupuncturists is increasingly globalizing. And instead of becoming more similar, at the same time, they're actually also becoming more different. Uh, and in fact, it is actually quite enjoyable to, uh, to see how uh, different, you know, different people and different cultures use the same Chinese medicine in, 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 in such a variety of, uh, of ways. Mm. I mean, when, um, I, don't, I don't go very often, but when there are, like, sometimes if I go to uh, some kind of international congress and think that this, the interesting bit is really to talk to the, I don't know, Iranian or Bulgarian or, um, you know, people from Laos or things like this on, on how, you know, what they do at home with the same medicine that I use in England. In fact, Dr. Kuzan is so globalized that he didn't even have to go to China to have gathered all this knowledge and experience. I mean, he tried, but it just didn't work out initially. And then after that, it just wasn't necessary anymore. When I started becoming interested in acupuncture, I uh, wrote to a hospital in Guangdong where there was a French doctor working there. And he sent me back a nice letter saying, you know, if you come here, there will be such a cultural shock. There are some good schools in France and in England, learn there first, Mm -hmm. and then come to China. And so I did. And then when uh, when I was looking at going to China, there was a good professor coming from Shanghai who established himself here. And I managed to get uh, a post as his assistant. So basically, it was the case that China was coming to me rather than me going, uh, going there. Yet, he's still very much interested in Chinese culture. And he does attempt to speak Chinese, though he admits it's hard. He already speaks French, English, German, Italian and Arabic. He seemed to be this polyglot in both his languages and techniques. There's different techniques. I mean, I've trained and worked with the Chinese, and I mean, they they are very good. But at the same time, like the the, for example, the Vietnamese or the Japanese use slightly more gentle technique. But the Chinese think that if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't work. Yeah, I think that's where they got it wrong. It doesn't have to hurt to to hurt that much. And that's the thing, heartbroken heartbreaker. Perhaps once you've found the right person, 
it doesn't have to hurt so much anymore. Different people have different ways of not only dealing with pain, but first and foremost, locating it on the body and the self. But the good news is, with the right acupuncturist, it doesn't have to hurt so much. Thank you for listening to the third episode of Ask Dr. Wang. If you have any questions for Dr. Wang, please send them to hello at hellomarywang.com. Next time we'll be in Kigali, in Rwanda. So please tune back with the following new moon. Thank you for listening. Thank、you